and it is Health Naturally for our sponsor, Dennis Stewart's New Lambton Herbal Medicine Centre. And Dennis, we're getting going today with a little bit of music as we're going to talk about... Peppermint tea. And is that all you need to do to make peppermint tea, Dennis? Well, Take it, a little it's as, it is as simple as that, Jane, but I think we perhaps should uh, elevate a little bit further than that. Peppermint tea, whilst it's a, a very, very pleasant and refreshing tea, I might surprise listeners when I say that it also has some very, very significant and well-documented medicinal characteristics. And just as we spoke a number of weeks ago, about the way in which chamomile, particularly as a tea form, is popularly used, particularly in Europe, as an agent to soothe an inflamed stomach and is used for what we call in medicine a lot of inflammatory conditions, milder ones, of the gut. Well, peppermint has a proven reputation for being what's called an anti-nauseant and also a remedy that promotes improved bile secretion and bile flow. So what does this mean? Peppermint tea, whilst we can enjoy it as a tea, and I hope we will continue to do so, for people out there that experience nausea, and nausea, as you would appreciate, Jane, is associated with many conditions. Many people, for instance, that are undergoing chemotherapy might experience nausea as part of the procedure. It's useful to know that there may be agents that are gentle, uh, that are not expensive, that have an effect on buffering or easing that nausea and the regular daily use of peppermint tea and I'm talking about good quality uh, dried peppermint purchased from a health food store or a pharmacy a couple of cups of peppermint tea a day in a strong form is a very useful way for lessening nausea associated particularly with medical procedures or people that just get what we used to call nervous dyspepsia conditions and as a result feel a little bit off and experience nausea occasionally, peppermint is one remedy that one should have on hand to address those conditions, keeping in mind that all nausea obviously has to be medically uh, profiled and qualified and, and understood. But in many cases where nausea is a, is a byproduct of a procedure, a condition, peppermint is a very safe way when used regularly across the day of reducing the experience of nausea and vomiting. So when we talk about peppermint tea, it's, it's great to have a little ditty uh, promoting its use, and I'm a great fan of peppermint, but see it also from that perspective. And also another area where it is popularly used again, particularly in what we call European phytotherapy, as best expressed by the German genius, Dr. Rudolf Weiss, um, the regular daily use of peppermint is a useful way of dealing with what we sometimes refer to as a grumbling gallbladder. And particularly in people for whom a gallbladder procedure is not recommended, um, the use of peppermint tea can sometimes have a sedating effect upon a grumbling gallbladder, and the use of peppermint in, in herbal medicine has been used to promote normalisation of bile flow. So even those two areas of, of use with reference to peppermint point out that it has a significant uh, medicinal activity, even in a tea form, even in a tea form, which I come back to, makes it as a useful remedy to use where there is nausea or potential for vomiting and a very, very useful remedy for people that have uh, colicky, 
gallbladder type conditions, particularly the, if you like a, a, those sorts of gallbladder conditions where it's maybe not necessary for a surgical procedure and where normalisation of bile flow can frequently, frequently overcome some of these symptoms. So when we think of peppermint tea, think it in those two areas as an anti-nauseant and as a great remedy to address a, a grumbling gallbladder um, make peppermint a very, very valuable medicinal indeed. On a slightly different <laughs> note, though, Dennis, it's all right to drink it just because you like it, isn't it? Oh, look, absolutely. Well, I mean, peppermint is, is a refreshing uh, refreshing substance per se, so I'd much prefer people to uh, experiment with herbal teas than just get bound down by drinking the conventional teas that we all like. It's a very refreshing tea but with these added advantages. One thing that I didn't say, Jane, Jane, and this may be useful particularly for a lot of women that experience this symptom, and that is bloating. The number of patients that I would see over the year that, and, and female patients that present with this embarrassing condition known as bloating, and sometimes it's associated with the menopause, sometimes it can be associated with, with irritable bowel, but bloating can be an embarrassing uh, phenomenon for, for many people and particularly ladies peppermint tea again has a reputation when used sensibly across the day of lessening bloating and some of the colic and the wind associated with it so I hope our little discussion today has turned people towards peppermint tea a pleasant tea I emphasize but with incredible medicinal properties <laughs> And Dennis, we're talking about peppermint tea mm. and that lovely song to go with it. But uh, apart from peppermint tea, mm. there are some other things that you can do using water that are also good for us. There are, Jane. And this is something that I want to increasingly get over to listeners, that sometimes using herbs in the simplest form um, can also get a very, very valuable medicinal effect. And... I want listeners to realise that one doesn't have to pay expensive prices for sophisticated forms of herbs. Very frequently, herbal benefit, and I'll say it again, can be obtained in the most simplest way of using the herb, and that is as what we call a herbal infusion, or we would refer to it as a herbal tea. That is, in fact, uh, taking the dried herb normally and in a, a particular proportion uh, blending it with hot water, letting it steep like we would make a cup of coffee and drinking it as a, as a medicine. The oldest way of using the herb is in this water-based form. And interestingly, interestingly, in the German pharmacopoeia and the German apothecary uh, literature, herbal teas are still there as very important components of the practice of phytotherapy particularly in Germany and I suspect in other European countries. So it's very respectable to present herbal medicine activity from the perspective of seeing the herb harnessed by turning it into a medicinal tea or a medicinal infusion. Let me give you some examples. We've been talking this morning so far about peppermint tea and we've had a few little jokes along the way, and, but we've pointed out the importance of simple peppermint tea and its potential to lessen nausea, to assist a grumbling gallbladder, and even to lessen bloating. But look at some of the other herbal teas that I depend on, and I mean depend on. One of the most remarkable ones, one of the most remarkable ones to address what is one of the most common problems that, that people experience, and particularly elderly people and particularly women, 
is recurrent cystitis, infection of the urinary system. There is a herb known as buku, B-U-C-H-U, buku, Barosma betulina is its botanical name. It's a South African herb. It's well-defined in the British Pharmaceutical Codex, and it is well-defined in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia. It has a clinical history of being a useful herb and taken in a prescribed form as a herbal tea. It has a remarkable effect in providing prophylaxis or prevention against recurrent urinary tract infections. And without using it in that form, I don't think we'd get the benefit. The herbal tea form of using buku is a remarkable way of building up a degree of resistance to these wretched urinary tract infections that many people experience. And unfortunately, it is not, it's not as popular, uh, popular as it should be. Um, I think that I would be one of the few practitioners that use uh, buku and, and stock it and prescribe it. And I come back to the point without buku being converted into a herbal tea, I, in, in my opinion, would be hamstrung as far as addressing urinary tract infections as well as what we do. There's an example, Jane, again, of a herbal tea, a simple herbal tea defined in the technical literature with a clinical history behind it and used in modern herbal medicine today to address this wretched condition of recurrent cystitis. We'll talk about more herbal teas as we go along. And uh, 49216216 is the uh, number for you to ring. And uh, we're going to turn now to uh, Lynn, who has rung in from Cameron Park. And uh, she has a question, Dennis, about a friend who has Crohn's disease and IBS Mm -hmm. and would Mm -hmm. like to ask your opinion Mm -hmm. on things. Hello, Lynn. Lynn, hello, you're there now. Yes, Dal. Okay, what would you like to ask, Dennis? Oh, look, um, hello, Dennis. I hello, Lynn. Like, uh, um, thank you, I um, won your st- sauce, stiff and sorry, the other week, and oh, it was good, really good. good. I've got my husband on there. Well, there you but go. Any- anyway, but my friend Manda, mm-hmm. she's got Crohn's disease. Yes. Now, she went to the GP last yes. week, and they yes. gave her buscapan. Yes. And that doesn't seem to be working very well. Okay. She does get a lot of bloating. And yes. I miss part of your peppermint tea because yeah. I'm outside and I went of to grab course. a pen and paper. Well, now, look, with, with, with reference to that, if your friend has Crohn's disease, obviously she would be on particular medication for that condition. It's what's referred to as, a, as an inflammatory condition, inflammatory yes. bowel disease. And it's yes. not a condition that should be treated lightly. And your friend, I'm sure would be under a gastroenterologist and using particular medication to address that. However, I suspect that the buscopan may have been prescribed by the doctor to address what you referred to as irritable bowel syndrome, where, where the predominant symptom there seems to be, in this case, that your friend suffers from bloating and colicky conditions. Yes. Now, buscopan is a useful medical preparation, but like all preparations, is not always successful. In, in this situation, there are a couple of options to deal with the, uh, the bloating and the colicky symptoms of IBS. Yes. And I think what you should do is recognise that even here, even here, pepper may have a role to play. But, but interestingly, interestingly, a couple of weeks ago, we also spoke about the herb chamomile. 
Chamomile. Now, chamomile is one of my favourite remedies for addressing um, any condition in the gut, particularly where there might be inflammation behind it or where there may be some of the symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome. So in your friend's case, um, I would be using a combination here of uh, good quality chamomile tea uh, reinforced by good quality peppermint tea. Now, can she buy that from the supermarket? Yeah, or look, she... in, in most cases, the things I'm talking about and talking about them deliberately in this way, these are economical preparations that can be purchased very frequently from the, from the uh, medicinal counter in the supermarkets or from our health food stores or health even from our store. pharmacies. Um, that's the way that I would go about using those two herbs. Uh, keep, in mind, keep in mind that there is a pharmaceutical preparation known as Mintec, which is popularly available from our pharmacies and I suspect also from our supermarkets and health food stores, and that is based on peppermint and particularly used for addressing some of the symptoms of IBS. But again, try to keep it simple, try to keep it inexpensive. Um, My recommendation would be to work with the chamomile and the peppermint. Your friend should let her GP know uh, what she's intending to do uh, in place of using the muscopan because yeah. he, he's her prime contact therapist. He should be kept in the loop. I'm sure there would be no objection to using those simple things as a means of getting some comfort from this no. symptom associated with IBS. Now, can I get the dried herbs from your Look, um, a, store? A, or a, do a, I just... Again, the dried herbs would come, in this case, in, in tea bag form. Yes. And you'll get them, as I've said, from any of those outlets. All right, thank you so, so much. Thank you, Lynn. Helen has rung in from Wall's End and your question's about olive leaf extract, Helen. Yes, good afternoon. Look, I, I've been taking olive leaf extract uh-huh. extract for a few months now and I'm just wondering, do you know a lot about it and what are the benefits of it, okay. if you could tell me that, please. Uh, Helen, these days, olive leaf is used um, usually as an agent to support resistance or to what's colloquially referred to as to build up the immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, I must admit that I don't use the herb very much because, in my opinion, in my opinion, the American herb known as echinacea mm-hmm. has, has, has a, a very, very good reputation that has caused me to use it mm-hmm. conf- confidently for 40 years of my professional life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I'm not doubting that olive leaf is a useful agent. It's just that, in my opinion, echinacea is a better representative of what I think olive leaf has put out there for, that is oh, okay. an, an agent to promote improved resistance to infection. However, yeah. however, not all listeners would be aware of the fact that olive leaf also contains a degree of antihypertensive activity. That is, um, again, in European phytotherapy, that is in Europe, um, olive leaf is used or put forward as a very, very mild uh, agent, potentially useful in helping managing borderline uh, blood pressure conditions. Now, this makes me always a little bit guarded because anything that is used regularly, and I emphasise regularly in a concentrated set dosage form, anything that's used uh, that way needs to be used, in my opinion, cautiously if you're also on critical blood pressure medication. 
Well, I do have a high blood pressure, so okay. oh, yeah. Well, that's basically. That, that, that could, I've never had any problems with okay, it. I just wondered if there it's, are it's, any it's, benefits of continue. It's, it's very, very, it's very, very rare. In fact, I have never seen it that there has been an interaction. But in the literature that I refer to, it is recognised that it contains a constituent that is mildly antihypertensive. I have, I have never seen that. In your case, it might be useful, particularly if your blood pressure uh, is even with medication elevated. But again, you should mention that to your doctor. But, okay. but look, again, depending on why you're using it, um, you're primarily using it to build up a bit of resistance, are you? Basically, I, I started taking it years ago when my, my late husband and yes. I used to both take it. Yes. But, you know, I just sort of got back into it and I'm just wondering if, if it's worth me taking or... Well, look, I think it has, a, it has a reputation. It wouldn't be out there being used popularly without, yeah. without it being able to demonstrate some benefit. So even though I have come out in favour of echinacea primarily because I've used it for so long and demonstrated its benefit. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean to say that olive leaf hasn't got some some benefit. Yeah. I would think that the marketplace here has demonstrated that it has a role to play. And um, look, it's not an expensive preparation. It's very oh, safe. No. It's no, very, it very safe. I'd continue it, Helen. I'd continue it. Well, as I said, I'm type 2 diabetic, diabetic yeah, too, yeah, so I was just yeah. wondering... Well, as far as, I'm, as far as I'm aware, it has no, um, no in interaction with um, uh, a diabetic medication and has no um, capacity, as far as I'm aware, to seriously address um, blood sugar levels. So it would seem to be okay in your case. Thank you for your call, Helen. 49216216 to get your question through to Dennis Stewart today. Janice has rung in from Corlette and your question's about hair loss, Janice. Yes, um... My mother died in 2000, and I couldn't grieve. So my hair loss started then. Yes. And I heard you talk to a lady on the radio a couple of months ago. Yes. And you recommended something that worked. Okay. Janice, with hair loss, uh, there is no easy way of resolving it, and hair mm. loss can be associated with multiple things, and you have rightly pointed out that your hair loss was a consequence of, of, of unresolved grief for your mother passing away. In other words, yeah. stress, anxiety, all those sorts of things can have a bearing, and particularly hair loss is recognised to be related to those things. On the other hand, uh, hair loss can be also associated with things like thyroid dysfunction. And I'm presuming, I'm presuming you've been well investigated from that perspective and that your thyroid is okay, that there are no un unusual readings. Um, also, also, I have the viewpoint, and I know it's controversial, that hair loss can be benefited by using a combination of minerals and a combination of nutrients. And I know this, is, I know this is controversial, but there are listeners out there who have taken my advice on board and who claim that it has helped uh, their hair, particularly to stop falling, and occasionally to promote um, the, the, an improvement in the situation. My, my, my approach has always been uh, three-pronged, and if you have a pencil and paper, I will uh, uh, mention it to you. Uh, there would be pharmacies in your region up there that I'm sure would be able to provide these things for you, and they're not expensive. The first thing, 
that you should mention to your pharmacist is what are called the Blackmore's celloids, C-E-L-L-O-I-D-S, the Blackmore's celloids. Now, celloids are minerals in very, very mild or minute dosages. Uh, the therapy was developed by the founder of Blackmore's, Morris Blackmore, who was one of the first great Australian naturopaths, and his mineral therapy, as it's known, is still used by many naturopathic practitioners in this country, including myself. And the celloids in the Blackmore's manual, I can't reiterate them on or can't rattle them off uh, on the air, but they are uh, available. And if you like to ring my rooms, by the way, I'll give you a number, 49562321. My staff there could give you the combination of minerals in the celloids that I use. So we use those minerals to start with. And secondarily, I have used for many, many, many years an amino acid called tyrosine, T-Y-R-O-I-S-I-S-N-E, tyrosine. Um, it was recommended to me years ago by a trichologist that specialised in hair loss, and I believe that it was responsible for helping a lot of people along the way over the many years that I've recommended it. Not all, but many have benefited from the amino acid tyrosine, which again is available from your pharmacy or your health food store. The third member that I use in the in the team, if necessary, is the most popular uh, South Asian remedy used for hair loss, greying of hair, and to promote, where possible, um, hair improvement. And it's a, a herb that is, is not well known in this country. It's called Eclipta alba. I'll spell it for you. E-C-L-I-P-T-A, Eclipta alba, A-L-B-A. It's a very popular Ayurvedic medication, and in some of the Asian food stores, in the pharmaceutical counters, you can sometimes pick up Eclipta alba, which is also referred to as Bringaraj in Sanskrit. I'm not going to try to spell it for you, but that means ruler of the hair. Now, I've spent too much long talking to you about that, and I hope I haven't complicated the situation for you. I suggest if you want to give it a go, if you want to give it a go, try the Blackmore's minerals and some tyrosine first up. I make no promises. I would be a quack if I did. All I'm saying is I have used that approach to help some people who claim that has helped them. And thanks for your call, Janice. Of course, if you want to hear all that again, this program will be <laughs> podcast through to okay. and you RFM. Now, uh, Anthony has rung in on 49216216 and he's from Mayfield. And Anthony, your question's about arthritis. Hello, Mr. Stewart. Hello, Anthony. How are you? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Um, I'm, I'm from Merriweather, actually, but okay. yeah, that's another story. Um, uh, arthritis, gelatine. Uh, we had a, a friend, in a, a, a neighbour in our unit block. She had a, a brother mm. who lived at uh, Glen Innes. Oh, yes. And he had, he had bad arthritis, mm -hmm. and he could hardly open and close his right hand. Mm. And, and country people don't like city people. Country people take people's advice. Oh, yes. And my wife told him about um, gelatine. A heap teaspoon of gelatine, your first cup of tea in the morning. You can't mm. taste it. And after five and a half months, he kept up for five and a half months, and he can freely open and close both hands now. Mm. Well, do you have a comment well, on that? No, then? look, that's, uh, Anthony, to be honest with you, I know nothing about it. Um, but if he's getting benefit from it, who am I to, uh, to, to question it? That sounds excellent. And Leonie has rung in from Garden Suburb. Leonie, you've got a question about gum ulcers. Yes. 
Hello, Leanne. Oh, hello, Dennis. Um, look, firstly, thank you for always presenting an excellent program. Thank I enjoy you. it. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, uh, yes, I have the... I wear dentures, and from yes. time to time I get these ulcers yes. on the, the the upper gum. Yes. And I treat it with SM33. Yes, yes. But it's taking quite a while to... Um, okay. I was wondering if you could suggest anything okay. else that might... Okay. Look, the preparation you're using has, has got a good reputation. But yep. what I would suggest you do um, is try a combination of what's called a liquid extract of licorice. Yes. Right. With uh, glycerin as well. Now, you'd have to get this formulated uh, mm. if you are near a compounding pharmacist. Yes, or, mine is, yes. Good. Well, he would be able to put this together, but I'll explain the rationale of what I've suggested. Uh, yeah. Your pharmacist would know that uh, licorice contains some significant anti-ulcerative activity. Mm. In fact, uh, listeners might be surprised to know that licorice has demonstrated very, very successful and well-documented abilities for really mm -hmm. even healing uh, peptic ulcers, ulcers of the stomach or the duodenum. So mm -hmm. it's, and we actually know the chemistry of licorice. We know that it contains uh, substances, uh, particularly glycorrhizin, uh, which is a, what's called a glycoside, and it has anti-ulcerous and anti-inflammatory characteristics. So licorice is, a, is something that I've had a lot to do with throughout mm. my life. My so-called GA creams are in fact based on licorice and they're used for, to for topical treatment of psoriasis and eczema. In this mm. case, a liquid extract of licorice, which is not that expensive, mm. uh, equal parts with glycerin should, yes. be, should be used as a mouthwash Ideally, right. ideally, it shouldn't be swallowed because you're probably on a blood pressure medication. Yes, I okay. am. And licorice is not something that you should ingest in serious mm. levels if you have blood pressure. It can cause blood pressure mm. elevation. But if you use that compound, that mouthwash, a couple of times a day um, yes. and spit, out, or spit it out, obviously, after you've swished it around your mouth, so to speak, if, yes. you, if you do that, you may get a complementary benefit supporting the other preparation that might right. might speed up the resolution of this wretched problem. And yes. that wouldn't be a nasty preparation uh, to use. Licorice is flavoursome. The glycerin is in it uh, so that you get better adherence to the gum wall of the licorice oh, yes. than you would on its own. So, mm -hmm. so your pharmacist would understand what I'm talking about there. Mm, yeah. I, I would give that a go. I think there's a bit of possibility in that for you, Leonie. Oh, good. Thank you very much. Thank I'll you, do Leone. that. Okay, thank you. Thanks for your call, Leonie. And uh, Glenn has rung in from North Rothbury Progesterone, Glenn. Oh, hi, Dennis. Oh, hello, Glenn. How are you? Yeah, very well. No, no, uh, no, no rain there yet? Oh, God. <laughs> you couldn't drive a nail into the soil, I don't think. Oh, tell, me, tell me about it. I'm where oh, you are. Oh, jeez. Worst I've ever seen it. Underwater's going to love me. <laughs> well, I've actually had to try and keep my dams uh, filled oh. with water by pulling water from one dam and transporting it oh, to another really? with a pump. It's got that bad. But never mind, Glenn. How can I help yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, you just caught me attention this morning. Uh, yeah. Just one thing that, that peppermint um, you were talking about. Yes. 
I worked in hospitals for a while. They yes. years and years ago when yes. I started. Yes. They used peppermint water. Yes. The yes. How about that? Where did <laughs> yeah. where, where did those old preparations go? What I mean. Oh, geez, I haven't seen it for years. Peppermint so peppermint water is was was a yeah. gem and, and helped a lot yeah. of people. You know what I think it is? I think we we've we've fallen into this trap of believing in modernity. That everything oh, is mod yeah. everything that's modern is necessarily better. And I believe that's nonsense. I believe yeah. many of the old medications were equally as good, if not better, cheaper and probably less problematical. Peppermint yeah, I water. Agree. My God, yeah. peppermint water. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> what I was gonna ask yeah, was um, yeah. I I just wonder what your opinion was on the um uh, uh, males, uh, like middle-aged or older, taking progest uh, progesterone supplements. Yeah. Have you ever heard of that? I've, oh, I've, 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 I've heard of it. I've read of it a bit. Sometimes it's used a bit for prostate-type uh, conditions. But, um, Glenn, I'll, look, I'll be on honest with you. Um, I'm now in my very late 70s, and I have no intention of taking progesterone, which is predominantly a female hormone. Um, I, I have reservations about um, some of the uses of, uh, of hormone therapy today. Reservations. And I'm not a medical practitioner, and I may well be uh, shot down for even questioning it. But, um, oh, look, I had a, a discussion some months ago with my good GP on the central coast of New South Wales, and we were talking about um, hormone therapy for males, particularly as they get older. And I noted his comment. He said, oh, he said, we've got things. He said, but you blokes in your kit bag have probably got just as good as what we've got. And I thought that was a very generous and probably accurate statement that, try, in my opinion, Glenn, try to always find something a little bit more natural, uh, simpler, uh, less problematical. And there are things in natural right. medicine that can address male problems without sure. going that pathway. Now, if your doctor has prescribed that, who am I to question it? All oh, I... no, no, I was just curious. Yeah. I just thought as you get older, your testosterone drops, as does progesterone, and um, well, estrogen gets, you know, raises, and I just thought it was a... Well, the thing that the comment here that, that I would make is that yep. for, for males who are feeling the, the um, consequences, if you like, of testosterone reduction, take on board some of the traditional ideas of Asia. There, there is a herb out there known as Panax ginseng. Mm. Panax ginseng. And it is used popularly throughout Asia, and it is used particularly by elderly men. And the best example that I've ever seen of this in my life was in Perth probably 15, 20 years ago, having dinner with two doctors. One of the doctors brought along his elderly uh, ageing um, father, who was a, a Chinese gentleman from Malaysia, and as the night drew on, the doctors talked medicine, and I talked uh, with this gentleman, this Asian gentleman. And towards the end of the night, I said to him, uh, how old are you? And, and remember, this is a guy that had jet black hair. There was no need for any hair loss therapy. His skin was perfect. He was articulate as could be. I said, how old are you? He said, how old do you think? I said, oh, about 75. He said, I'm 86. I said, okay. Oh I said, okay, what's your secret? And this is, this is the punchline. I said, what's your secret? He said, I scour the world for the best ginseng. 
So oh, really? I, I pass oh, on to you. Geez. I pass oh, on to okay. you. Try a bit of ginseng. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. Okay. That's, uh, we've covered a number of we topics in that. We started book. with peppermint tea and we, we went, we've ended up with ginseng, with ginseng for, for, for declining testosterone levels yes, in the mail. Sounds fair. <laughs> now, we do have a Stiff Sore and Sorry pack to give away. Who do you think? Glenn. Glenn from North Rothbury. You can pick that up from Dennis Stewart's rooms. And... Uh, uh, yes, excellent. We've uh, got about half a minute, I think, Dennis, and we will be talking about other other um, preparations that you can put in uh, water-based. We, we have indeed. And we're going to talk about that again some other time. Maybe. I think we might take it up next week because we mentioned uh, the urinary tract. Yes. Now, look, a lot of people have suffer discomfort of the urinary tract and constant antibiotics, etc., I believe this is an area where herbal medicine has not been adequately exploited. And I mentioned buku. I'll mention other simple tea preparations that one can use next week to address this problem and indeed other health problems using herbal teas. Sounds good. That's Health Naturally for today. Podcast through 2NURFM.com and, of course, next week.